bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Hello and welcome to After Things. I'm Andrew Maine, joined by Justin Robert Young. Hello. And Mr. Bryce Castillo. Hey, that's me. Hi. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Uh, good, man. Good. We're doing uh we're doing a okay. You know, a, a weird, weird episode without uh without without Brian, but uh we're we're getting we're getting we're soldiering on here for the week. For uh, I don't want to talk about Brian. I want to talk <laughs> about Raise the Dead season two. Sure. And what your plans are for this. Uh, so yeah, Raise the Dead season two. We announced it uh, last uh, just, week. I, I love Brian, and I do want to talk about him, but I just want to interject. That's okay. Please, no, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, last year we did Raise the Dead season one about the 1960 election. I knew I wanted to do uh, the second season. I wanted to do, well, I didn't know what I wanted the second season to be. I knew that I wanted to do at least a episode about the 1964 election because this it did not include some of the kind of big names that 1960 or 1968 uh, uh, includes. But I knew that there was interesting and good stuff there. And then the more I read about it, it went from me doing a one-off episode to me kind of doing more of a full season. So now it's going to be a three episode season and uh, it'll run throughout October. Uh, but I'm, I'm very excited to uh, excited to launch it. How was it? I, that out after the first season. A lot easier, yeah. a lot easier to do in, in the second season than it was in the first season. Uh, I had a sense of the structure uh, and really working on the second season helped me clarify. I think the DNA of the show a little bit more and also understanding the response to the first season uh, helped me clarify uh, the point of the show a little bit where the first season is very much kind of a, you know, as Brian would say, like the magic trick of like, what if I told you that these two unlike things in your mind were very much alike Ta-da! at the end. Uh, whereas what I kind of realized in the second season is number one, I don't want to put the pressure of the show on every two alike, uh, unalike things are the same, right? In, 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 in reality, what I want to do is uncover these patterns that kind of happen like, uh, uh, over and over and over again. So we can sort of understand the world around us as opposed to me pretending like this thing is a shock. It's like, no, like these are our habits. These are, recurring cycles let's understand them uh and then also just under you know 1960 being an election that not a lot of people know enough about and then 2016 being a very very fresh election i had a lot more license to be like oh isn't it crazy that nixon is acting like hillary clinton isn't it crazy that the kennedys are acting like the trump campaign whereas not a lot of people know anything about you know, much about Barry Goldwater's effectively kind of this forgotten figure for people that aren't really into politics. Lyndon Baines Johnson is somebody that's like barely remembered now, unless you're mentioning Vietnam. So I have to re I have to introduce these characters a lot more than I, than I had with the previous ones. And also it's like, 
I don't have as fresh of an example because I wrote and produced this season before the end of the election, which hasn't happened. So this is more about the 1964 election with touchbacks to to our modern world. And sometimes they they take more time. Sometimes they are more uh, a, a called shot than than uh, in in other moments. But in general, I realized that this had to be 80 percent me telling you this story. And now I have the benefit of people being able to fall in love with these characters from the first Raise the Dead and now kind of just tell you where they go. Because guess what? It's really interesting. And spoiler alert, a main character dies in the first uh, in the first five minutes. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, unfortunately, you may be able to get season three out before this election's really over. So, yeah, you know, and then the uh, 2020 and 2000, the recount. Exactly. Uh, so I I'm excited about this and the the production quality, everything is great. And I'm impressed by how much of this you did on your own. What I remember going into originally Raise the Dead was, did you need to bring in outside people? What did you need? Yeah. And then there are, I've seen this with some of my clever friends where they feel like, oh, I need to get an expert to tell me what to do. And then they go do it themselves and they're able to do a, a damn good enough product that, yeah, sure, maybe somebody who had been doing it for years might have added something to it. But the quality they were able to do on their own was way better than I thought. And... Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, if a, if uh, uh, I do say so myself, it's it's the best thing I've ever done. And I think it's it's given me a perspective on what audio engineering quality is for podcasting. And uh, uh, I, I, I think it's something that I have not only it's it's made everything I've done much better. PX3 is much better. The things that I can do and instincts that I have in five seconds would, would be something that I wouldn't even think to attempt in the past. Um, and, and that, that helps, you know, I, I think that it, it makes everything, uh, better going forward because, uh, we're in a world now where like podcasting has effectively grown out of what, succeeded in radio like if you look at like where the tendrils of podcasting go it's like everything is either kind of like news radio or sports radio uh but now you 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 can explore the space a lot more uh the miniseries stuff really kind of grew out of the public radio this american life uh or or radio lab kind of examples that now you're like, oh, okay, well, what if we just focused on this story? And I think that what the reason why this format is so popular is because it gives podcasting something that it desperately needed, which is an entry point for people, an entry point for talent, an entry point for new listeners. The idea of, oh, drop into this show that has a billion different inside jokes or or is about this thing and maybe you don't know where their perspectives are daunting, right? Do I have to go back and listen to all the old ones? Should I only listen to ones where the guests I, I like, blah, blah, blah. Uh, whereas this, it's like, oh, would you like a free audiobook? Like, here's a free audiobook, and maybe you'll have to listen to a title sponsor and an ad read in the middle. But other than that, here's just a free 
like very intricately produced uh, podcast. And that's, uh, I think it's, it's, it's great. And I'm glad that I, I feel like I've been able to get to the point where now I can punch at, uh, at a level that is similar to some of the, the industry leaders with it, which I'm very happy about. Well, I, say, I think there's so much value to, you know, we, sometimes we want to do a thing and then we look at the world around us and, you know, people like, Oh, I have a story I want to share. Like, Oh, you should do a YouTube channel. It's like, Oh, I guess I'm a YouTuber now, you know, or, Oh, I want to, I want to, I want to do a thing on, you know, I want to do a breakdown of this movie. Oh, you should do a podcast. I guess I'm a podcaster now. And there's something to the idea of saying, take these mediums and use them for the purpose that you want. Short form has been great. The fact that we now can do, you can do the, the three episode season or just do three of a thing and put it out there. Yeah. Make, use the mediums the way you want to don't feel. And I've, I've talked to people like, Oh, you should blog. Oh, I don't want to be a blogger. Like, no, like you can get a WordPress site, put a post up, never do another thing again. It's yeah. there. Want to come back? You got it there. It doesn't mean every week you got to share. We get so focused on, because it was drilled into our heads, like, oh, you got to keep producing more and more. It's like, that's not my goal. My goal yeah. is, I want this thing out there. That's it. Beyond the technical side of it, Justin, um, how has scripting out now a second season of a show has that influenced much of what you do with say politics or the other, or the other streams? Like d- does, cause with, you know, with the, with raise the dead, right? Like you're going over the scripts, you've got them, I'm sure pretty, pretty tight between what you write and what you record. Um, how does, how does that influence the more free form uh, streaming and podcast side with politics? Um, well, politics has become a little bit more of a polished thing, but but there, I, I pretty much am just looking for either thoughts or stories. So I'm like, all right, I know I have the big story, the big thought, the big take, the big reaction up top, and then I got a secondary thing, and then maybe a tertiary thing, and then a guest, right? So I've got that as like, I have the DNA of that, and I'm looking for things to plug into it. For Raise the Dead, it was, especially season two, as I thought more about this as a repeatable format, um, the big thing that I realized, and this was in a conversation with Andrew about just like story in general, was like, what is the mantra for the show? What is the mantra for the episode? And so what I would do in the first season, I rewrote my scripts over and 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 over again. And what I wound up getting by the end of it was a good essay and a bad episode, right? And so what I realized is that I had to go back and and redo it. What I didn't realize at that point was exactly what I was doing. And so with this one, I actually came up with a fairly repeatable process that worked for me, which was write out just my garbage script. Like, it's just going to be bad and I'm not going to put a lot of pressure on it. Uh, well, actually here, one step before that, I have a grid of nine boxes and I would write out what my story was like, just this happens, then this happens, then this happens, and 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 this happens. And that's, that's the episode, right? From that grid, I'm then writing out my garbage script. Uh, and every time that I'm like, eh, I don't know, just put it in. Uh, record that with uh, uh, as little 
you know, kind of uh, dressing it up as possible. Like I didn't want to get into technical things immediately. So I didn't want to get too much into all the archive sound, too much into where every sound cue should come in. I just need to hear myself reading the bad script. And I would then go on a walk and drink beer. And I would use my superpower, which is giving people notes that don't want to hear it. And normally it just makes my friends not want to talk to me, but now I can use it for fun and profit because if I'm listening to this thing that I know is bad and then I'm ripping it apart, I can ask myself the real question that matters. And this is where the, the, the harvest is. What is this episode about? What is like now that I listen to it and I've got just a jumble of stuff, what's the real story here? And that was something I got from Andrew. Andrew, you know, was, was, we were talking about writing and, and his process. And he was like, you know, everything becomes a lot easier once you know what the story is. And obviously it's a little different with nonfiction than fiction because you need to fit the pieces, you know, that, that actually kind of happen together. But it's like only for me, once I listen to myself, read it and I get frustrated, but I just knew in my, trust my instincts of being like, why am I talking about this? Like, I want more about this other thing that I was talking about like five minutes ago. Like that was interesting. This is dumb. And hmm. when I got to that point, I'm like, Oh, well, this is a story about this person, or this is a story about this thing or these things that I glossed by. I need to spend more time on these things that I spent a ton of time on. I can pare down to a, a little bit. And I got, you know, there were huge parts of the show that got cut. Like uh, initially I was going to make this a little bit more tied to the primary system. And I was going to use a lot of recordings that I made on the primary trail. And I was going to be like, look, here's how much I care about you. And, and the connection between the past and the present, I was there for the present. And then every time I wrote in a thing about how, I I know this now better because I was there while I was listening to this. I'm like, who cares? Shut up. Nobody cares that you were there. Like, just use the audio and like, don't be I'm Mr. On the Road guy because nobody gives a, a, a crap about it. And it made it better because it got down to what the real story of this was, the the, the form and fit of it. And it got back to the characters. And that was really uh, a huge part, but that, that process of like, I, I needed to edit sound. I needed to basically get to a minimum viable product to edit sound because once I did that, it made writing the sound so much easier than trying to make it great on the page first. I I'd like to add though, that, you know, my, my process for writing books, fiction actually came from when I sat down to write my nonfiction book, remember years ago, how to make an action movie for $99. Of course. And, yeah. and that was my first non-magic book. And I needed to write a book that was, how do you make, and I said, how do I, how do I, because you have all these different, when you're doing nonfiction, you have all these different directions you can go into. And finally I said, I guess I just need to use questions and answers and break, like, literally the title, how do you make an action movie for $99? And I'm like, that's the first question. You know, and what's the answer to that is we well, got to budget this, da, 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 da. Well, how do I answer each what in this? How do I do this? And how do I do this? And how do I do that? 
and it becomes this tree that basically just an outline that unfolds in front of itself. And the same thing I would say for like, you know, how did the 19, you know, how did the 1964 election, what, what decided this? And we've talked about like, you know, we actually played with using the AI at one point to see asking it questions about this. And it brought up some very interesting things that were, were in what you're doing. And also other things that were relevant, but not as relevant as the main story. And it showed you that like, yeah, there's a thousand different books that you could write on that. And you have to make a choice to say, from this frame of reference, from this point of view, this is how I want to address it. This is what goes in and this is what goes out. You yeah. know, and you know, it's hard, but that's that's you as an artist. There was a book that was on a uh, like a history of Silicon Valley, and I'm not and and the person went out and they did interviews with a bunch of people in the business, tons of interviews. And they sat down to write the book, and they didn't write the book. They ended up deciding to publish the interviews. And you read the beginning, and, and they're, the author's very defensive, like, well, actually, a book like this is harder than a regular book because of da-da-da. I'm like, maybe, but it feels to me like you didn't know where to find your narrative, and so you yeah. decided to publish an oral history of this, which has value, but I ain't going to read it because a lot of these things are, you know, they're like a certain, ah, I, I would rather... I would rather a more just, I want an experienced person like a Justin Robert Young going in there and telling me a narrative because otherwise it's, it's like every gangs of New York, the actual original. No, it is literally an almanac of the gangs of New York. Yeah. That's what I had always heard that, that, that it's a lot of like, and by this point there were like 88 sharks and 49 countrymen and like, like and then they all had these amount of potatoes and the yeah. following tins of tobacco. Yeah, the dead mouse and nail squad split up into the nails and the mice. You know, yes. and <laughs> not, it, literally, it's this. It's this. There is. It is not a story. It is literally a like a, a the just and this happened to this history gang, book. And this gang it's not even a history book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a Wikipedia yeah. page. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, 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 and that's that's what I had to figure out, and what I, I think I'm I'm proudest of is is realizing like, no, this season because it's shorter, I've got to pack a lot more uh, personality into it, and you know, it's three episodes largely because there's Kennedy. Spoiler alert: his story goes some places, uh, and and other people need to pick up the slack. And then Goldwater and then Johnson, but each of them have uh, their own narrative. And I think it's really compelling. And I think it, uh, they all really, really tie into this world. But it's like, you have to do a fairly delicate, well, you have to be very, very sure of yourself with stuff like this. And it's like, you have to know, all right, I'm telling this story and maybe I get everything and maybe like, like the, the, the guesses I'm making on motivations based on the, the history that surrounds it is perfect or not perfect. But the worth of this is let me tell a compelling story that brings this to life and then nails it back to our modern world. And to me, that's where, the strength of my format is. And I think when I find frustrating and things that I'm not, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm less of a fan of, uh, it's when they don't, it's when, you know, there's a lot of 
putting yourself at the center or a lot of uh, uh, not just picking a lane and saying, here's our story. Boom. Strap in. Buckle up. By the time we get to the end, you're going to know why I started talking. And and that's that's what I want. I, I, I want... Uh, I wanted to bring that kind of self-confidence, but creatively you can't get there unless you know where you're going. Like you can't fake that. You can't, you can't fake that in any kind of story. You can't fake that in any kind of, of work. If you wanted to read as confident or sound as confident, then you gotta, you gotta know it, especially when people could read into your voice. It was very interesting for me to hear you say, Oh yeah. The very first thing I do is I write a script and then I record it, which yeah. To, which sounds, I mean, it's it's a testament to your ability to to go and listen to your own work um, with a critical eye. That's that is very helpful advice that we give have given on this show a lot to anyone in any creative field. Like, go and do a thing, and it's gonna be bad, and then watch it and be really harsh about it. And it's very difficult to do that last bit of like, okay, I'm listening to this as not just as the creator, because if you listen as a creator, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I love that I made that choice. I love that I did all these things that I decided to do where um, where I think that's the value in your saying this script is not even I don't even care. I just need the words on a page right now and and I'll go from yeah. there. Like it's kind of it, it, it does feel a little um, taking the scenic route maybe right but over time you're you're going to have a better sense of writing those scripts when you're writing that first draft like this is something this is a process that's going to shrink considerably over time as you figure this out i feel like maybe but but maybe not because i i do think that look the, the medium is the message and and like yeah maybe i'll be better at guessing right maybe i'll be better at at knowing how it sounds and i'll just get better at writing uh, radio scripts uh, versus essay scripts or news stories or magazine features, which is, you know, what I have more experience in. But ultimately, like, I don't know what's good until I hear myself talking about it. And once well, I hear myself talking about it, I can find it so much. I mean, like, it was night and day trying to, like, it, I didn't even, like, the, my first drafts, I didn't send to anybody. Last time I sent my drafts to a bunch of people and I got a bunch of notes and I got a bunch of stuff that I changed and I moved and I flipped and I tried to tweak and stuff like that. Now I just, as soon as I, as soon as I can hear it, like, man, am I like, I am, uh, uh, I think I give good notes in general, but like, boy, is it annoying to listen to other people give you notes. Uh, and, and so like, I realized like, to be honest in this process, I was like, I discovered a superpower. Like my superpower is like I can I can take this ball and I can figure out yep, like even if it's 20%. If I can find that 20%, I'm like boom, there we go. Now I know exactly how to expand it from here. I you know the the thing I I really I think we all believe in is that you that the path to success is to make things and to learn things. Yeah. There are people I know who've made things for years and who are not any, maybe they're, they're, they're incrementally better. Like a rock gets smoothed down in a river better, but they're not, they, they could have got there in two years instead of 20 and where they would have been now would have been amazing. And most people, a lot of people like to make things, 
but they don't want to learn from it because they don't want to open up the, the, to criticism. And I, I remember my phase of not wanting to be criti- be criticized for something. And I experienced that anew when I first started making Apple. When I went from writing books, then I got to the point, I can handle criticism because I know I'm good enough to fix it. When I started creating applications, I had to start all over and my skin got thinner. I watched my skin get thinner when I try something new. And that's the thing I have to realize. Oh, no, I had to become better as a person. I became better in this task. And it's yeah. hard because as we expand, we have to learn how to do new things. So make a lot of things, learn from those things, and then improve that. And for me as a writer, when it comes to a book, my MVP, the thing that my minimum viable product is actually my outline. That is the thing where I can iterate. I can figure out what I need to do to make it better, to improve. I can find my weaknesses in my story. And then I can go write a book in a week or two. And that book will be if I go through the steps I need to do with my outline, any problem I have in the book started in the outline and it's evident in the outline. And I think that's the thing with a lot of stuff is to identify, you know, where that is. Pixar would, it was easy for them to write scripts and iterate scripts because you throw money at Joss Whedon or JJ Abrams or somebody else and have them do another polish and you got a script, but then that wasn't enough for them. Their MVP was storyboards is they would take that story. They'd put it into storyboards and they'd go take it to like six year olds and show them the storyboards of Toy Story or whatever movie they're working on. And that was the perfect audience because those kids didn't go, why are you showing me storyboards? What what's what what happened? They're like, they're looking at the characters. The characters are real in their head, but that's where they could figure out story problems. You know, kids would be like, well, what about this? Why is he so mean? Why is he so mean? And they go, okay, we got to fix this. And they could iterate and go back on those storyboards and then go on to production before they spent a ton of money. We've seen some filmmakers like Lucas treated shooting on the prequels as the mvp you know that was he i can go bring everybody back in i haven't been here for years i got a year con years of contracts for everybody we'll go back in to fix it on a blue screen and it's like yeah but what if there are structural problems and that was part of the problem with the prequels and we saw in the sequels you know we saw uh their mvp was you know a month before it's going into theaters you know trying to fix stuff and you know where Marvel, Marvel, com, Marvel has a really good approach. Where that script, that script is their MV, their script. They try to fix it in the script phase. They go through painful rewrites on stuff. You hear the point at which directors generally leave projects on a Marvel project is the script phase yeah. because they're not happy with where it's going, and that's when you see people. Nope, I'm out of here. It's not what I signed. I'm like, great, <laughs> we can get somebody else to do it. Yeah. Uh, and then they allow for reshoots on stuff because if if something got missed along the way, so identify your MVP and where you can iterate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a huge, huge thing. Although I will say this, uh, uh, I don't think I would be able to use my process in season one. The season two process yeah. would not have worked for me in season one because I didn't know, like as soon as I have the faith in myself that I can do it, that I have it in me, that I can make I could make a season one quality thing again, and now I become obsessed with making it better. Then it's like, oh, okay. Well, now I know at the very least I can fish out a season one episode. Mm-hmm. And now when I go forward, I know that I can fish out a season two episode. And I, and and I'll be able to, the more I do it over and over and over again, that'll be it. But I've I've done it now with, with a few other things, with a few other, like there was another project that we were working on that, uh, I was literally, it was with a bunch of people and it wasn't a recorded thing, but I was, or it wasn't a, a, a history thing. It was just a panel show. And I was like, let's all just talk. 
let's all talk about a thing and then give me all the audio and I'll take my walk and I'll listen to it and I'll hate it and I'll find out, I'll uh, direct my heat vision of what I hate and what I think sucks and I will burn it all away and we will find, and then I'll be able to edit it into something that is good and I'll find the heart. And that's the key. The key is, uh, uh, unlike anything else that I've done, audio is very much a visceral, emotional, like thing because it's personal. Like you just want every moment to be with the good and get away from the bad and the boring. And it's like, the more you can identify like, okay, a cool thing's happening, a cool thing's around the corner. Like I identify with this person. I, I now can see myself in this, in this situation, or I want to be in this conversation. That's where you, you, you have to, you have to do it. And that was like, to me, that having that revelation was not only the best thing for raise the dead season two, it's, it's the best thing for my career in podcast. Well, I think that your point too about how it changed from season one to two, and like that was what I saw for me with my books, is that the thing that the most important to me thing now, the phase I'm at right now, is my mission statement, and that is this book. My characters are going to go through this, and my audience is going to be experiencing this. So I have my internal and my external things. This story has to have that, and if I have my mission statement and I have a clear mission statement, what it is. Putting it into a outline is autopilot. Even writing is autopilot in the best way. In that, that once I start to, like you know, chapter twenty-two, I get to play the game and have fun working my way through what the beats I'm going to hit. And I'd say that like that's the thing is you, as you start to sort of understand certain things, then you sort of change what that MVP needs to be. You know, Stephen King maybe doesn't need to sit down with an outline or anything to write a story, but it's funny. Like I'm halfway through The Outsider. And I'm at that point or kind of later in where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the same point in, you know, it. And this is the same point in other stories where the group passed to. They got spread apart. Now they're back together and they're going to go confront, you know, the, the thing. thing. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and it's like, man, like this, this is now very clearly a Stephen King story because I see the thing that happens in a lot of Stephen King stories because, you know, he can say, ah, I can apply this. Let me let me. Instead of a space clown, it'll be a shapeshifter, you know? Yeah. And it, it but, speaks so. to your confidence to be able to to take that sort of methodology, Justin, of just like, just put it out here and we'll find it in, at, we'll find it after we excavate, right? Especially with this other yeah. project you were talking about of just like, let's just talk and get it, which is like uh, a, a very valid methodology. And it's also very counter to how a lot of people would like to work, right? A lot of people would love to have a script and say, okay, I need this kind of soundbite. And then I need this kind of quote. And then I need this kind of visual. And then I need this, you know, like even, even broadly speaking without specifics, there are some people who would go in and say, I need these kinds of things and know them very, um, uh, you know, know them very particular and, and not, I, I guess I said counter, maybe that's not quite right because, uh, you can do both. Right. Um, well, I know, yeah, like, I think the big difference is, I don't want to edit sound on the page in the same way that like, uh, 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 you know, you have to work in the medium for which people are going to listen to it. And for me, like I, I can write a better script once I hear a bad version of it. Once I hear a bad version of it, now I get 
the ability to write a script that is so the scripts that I have are almost word for word. Like they are, they are like, I don't do a ton of maybe rhetorically I'll, I'll go on little flourishes, but the, the scripts that I, the final scripts that I have are almost exactly the transcripts of the episodes, but I can only write that once I, I work in the world of, of, of audio, because that's, uh, to me, that was, that was the turning point was realizing that like, Oh, this isn't like, even for the panel show, once I realized, okay, here's the heart of the show. Here's what we want to do. I could go back to everybody and be like, Hey, this is the point. The, the show is at its best when we're doing this. So as we're going about it, we don't need to say it out loud, but keep doing that. And the stuff that isn't that just know is getting cut. <laughs> so to, <laughs> like, like just know that going forward. So the, the, the reason I kind of brought up this other sort of methodology is because I, I think about like uh, when we do some of the product videos for like scam stuff, um, you know, especially like specifically the mystery boxes, which are like kind of our bigger things. We only do them, you know, once a year or so. And I always have, I always, my process has always been some function of both of those components, which is like, yeah. it's me in an empty dark room trying to figure out what I want to do with this thing. And over the years, the thing that I have brought into that process is, okay, here are the types of shots that I would like to see. I, you know, I need to yes. see close-ups of it because I know what the box looks like a little bit. So I need to see the dials. I need to see this. What if I did this? And, and so I, I don't know. Once you get into the very specific parts of it of like, okay, I need this number of different close-up shots. I need this many wider shots. I need, you know, these various focal points. Then that kind of frees you up in the moment when you're in there doing the excavating basically to look at it from another layer up of another layer up closer to self actualization, I guess, uh, for lack of a better way of like, oh, okay, 100%. what is this? A, what is this aesthetically? What is this message wise? What are we trying to say on a next level up beyond the detail, you know, specific concrete points. And let me say this, uh, the difference between audio and video is that audio is cheap. Mm -hmm. And I can like I can way easier than you can relight, repost, have talent, like even if it's just product videos, right? Like resetting up exactly everything and making sure that your camera and everything is, is set up. I can go back and re-record a lot cheaper and easier and less painful than that. Like if I re-record two full versions of that script, like at the end of the day, what's it's a it's you know, maybe an extra 45 minutes. And so yeah, wow. what, what I kind of realized was let's exploit that. Let's exploit the fact that it's like, if I just have to read this script three times, but I get the best version of this episode, like, uh, then that's awesome in a way that you, that video does not allow for like right. a video. You gotta get every possible thing you need to go into battle. Your minimum viable product is really just even your list of shots that you need to get and your skill to be able to get them because then you got to fit stuff together in a, in a way that like for, for audio, I can just re-record and re-record and re-record and re-record and re-record, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, 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 in such a cheap way. How, um, how tough on yourself have you been with, 
in terms of like a deadline. Cause like for a lot of the stuff that we do, like, you know, we do scam nation and stuff and we, uh, we try to pack in our shoot days or with modern rogue where, you know, we're trying to get, we kind of, you know, we need to get in and we need to get out cause we, we got to yeah. do other things. And that means that you end up developing a sense quicker onset of these are the type of things that are going to work. These are not the things that are going to work. We need to stop. We need to adjust. We need to make sure we go back and get this stuff while we're on set. Because like you mentioned, like it's, it's not great to try to go and it's, it, there's a lot of overhead in redoing stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that sense develops from doing a lot of stuff in a short, from a, a higher density sort of turnaround on that stuff where I know these are a little looser. You can kind of set your own deadline. How challenging have you been with yourself on that? Because I think developing those intuitions come with saying like, even if it's not every week, but if it's just like, I'm giving myself a real hard date on this, publish the date now. Cause it's going to be a hard date. Yeah. I, I, I've besides just knowing that I had to launch this in October because that was when people care about politics and blah, blah, blah. Like in terms of the micro, uh, stuff like I just knew I needed uh, Saturday was my production day and I, I knew all right this episode gets to this point this day like this is this is what I'm doing this is when I'm listening to it I just know that I'll be able to maybe do a little tweaks throughout the week but uh, uh, this is when it gets this is when it gets cranked out so really I was focused more this season on the process, knowing that I had time until uh, uh, October. Although that being said, I'm literally looking at all the things I still need to do and and I have uh, not done it as it launches on Sunday. But um, but yeah, I, I think there is uh, deadlines become a lot easier and more manageable when you have a process. And the more you have a process that you trust, the more you are able to dial that up or, or, you know, slow that down to make sure that everything works. I mean, like that in terms of sanity and, and, uh, knowing when to press, when to, when to take your foot off the gas, everything becomes clearer when you, when you know and trust your process. Hmm. Yeah. You guys want to do picks? Yes. Hmm. Uh, my pick is, uh, I'm trying to think of which of the HBO shows last night. Uh, I the vow was better. Vow was better than it normally is. That they 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 kind of uh, it's a meandering way. To, no, you want to know what? It's not the vow. It's Lovecraft Country. <laughs> uh, they 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 told a sci-fi story, and uh, uh, I you know it's a very inventive uh, and and expansive show, and uh, uh, it was a visual treat, and it was nice to get a little bit outside of the. Uh, the 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 blood and guts that has uh, uh, defined the show. I'll say um, I'm of two minds of the most recent episode of Lovecraft Country because uh, I don't know. It's such a weird thing. The balance that they're having to figure out a balance between the long arc of we need to figure out our relationship with magic and this this occult club. The, 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 the Harry Potter of it all. Yeah, like they need to balance out how much time they spent with that and these like kind of episode of the week sort of arcs. And so it was really great to see this character who doesn't really get a lot of screen time to begin with have like a whole thing that goes like a lot of places. That was cool. 
but also like half of this yeah. episode is not it could, about it could, that. It could really go to all five slaughterhouses. <laughs> but but that's only like half of the episode where like, you know, last week's episode, which was really nice, the one in in Korea, like that is mostly not about the Harry Potter of it all. Um, and so I, I think the show is just having a weird time figuring out a good balance um, on those two fronts. Cause I thought it was great. I would have loved, I needed, I feel like I needed one more layer on that episode of the week story to really feel like, okay, this is like a whole, this is get enough time to flourish on its own. I, I agree. I, I would have liked a little bit more to at least touch back from the episode last week to, to bind it a little bit more. Um, but uh, uh, for this one, it's like, I think the one thing that I would agree with you on is that the story is overripe for us to n- not know exactly where we're chasing. Like right now, narratively, all the characters are like, well, we're kind of just looking for an answer. Mm-hmm. As soon as we find that answer, boy, is there going to be a race to the end. We you know hit that the there's books, sides. and I'm going to hit the books, and we'll be back yeah, in 20 like, minutes. We know that there's sides. We know that there's double agents. We know where all the like tendrils are, and now we just need to know where the Ark of the Covenant is so everybody can start running to it. We yeah. need to know what the consequences of, of doing that are, and... Let's go. And I hope we get there next episode. But in the meantime, there was a very pretty episode that happened last night. Yeah. And like very imaginative. Uh, A lot of like unexplained things that will probably never get explained, I bet. And that was pretty cool. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got to pick. This is, um, this is a little show. I don't know if you've heard of this, you know, Um, but I've been watching it. Uh, This has been like my background show. Just throw it on. It's the thing that I can listen to while I'm working on something, playing something, relaxing. It is uh, uh, The Simpsons, which is on uh, Disney+. Plus. Um, Simpsons, eh? <laughs> I have been going back. At first, I had gone back to, like, just throw me in the middle of those early seasons and I'll just start watching. And then, uh, like, this past week, I had made a concerted effort to, like, okay, let's go start from the beginning and do all this stuff and uh you really see especially in the first few seasons like how much it's trying to find its footing how much stuff in terms of formatting in terms of animation and rendering like what this show looks like what these characters are like um you know like and you notice how how some some stuff that seemed probably maybe a couple of clicks higher than vestigial ended up disappearing completely from the show, right? You know, Nelson used to have those two little goblin guys who just hung out with him all the time. And, like, a lot. They're not around anymore, I don't believe. Like, weird things of, you know, the news anchor who was there before Kent Brockman was the news guy, you know? Yeah. Really, the way that they even view uh Springfield in, in, in terms of, like, what is this town actually look like? And nowadays it's kind of very quaint and suburban where like in some of these early ones, it's, it's kind of urban and it's kind of got, you know, a gritty kind of nasty side to it. And uh, have you seen the Tracy Ullman shorts? I have not. I, I think it'd be worth the, uh, since you've, since you've done the back, uh, 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 the back watch, like yeah. they're a lot more avant-garde. 
And mm. and I think that that's really where the show sort of found its footing is like, no, this isn't an art film. This is like this meditation on suburbia and life and family. Uh, uh, but they have the ability to go to all these crazy places and tell this kind of ribald humor. But uh, uh, the the evolution from that and then really it's like, all right, if you're in a short, then it's like, OK, this bizarre almost sinister funhouse mirror version of, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the honeymooners or something like that, or some sort of family scenario. That's a cool short idea. Like, but it, I don't know how long you want to stay there. Like, uh, you need to kind of fall in love with everybody to want to come back week after week after week after week. And I think that's what they realized more than anything else. Yeah. It's interesting because like, I remember, kid watching Tracy Ullman show and in the interstitials with the Simpsons and they were great. I'm like, Oh, this is funny and great. And they're like, Oh, they're getting their series. Now as an adult, I understand actually, I know one of the direct David Silverman. I've got the pleasure of meeting one of the directors, you know, who worked on this and helped show steer that show is going from Matt Groening's, you know, comic panel sensibility to like, Oh, let's make an actual cartoon that's on the Tracy Ullman show to the, the popularity of that. Like, People don't remember the Tracy Ullman show, but everybody knows The Simpsons. Yeah. And then watching them, there has been nothing like that. Cartoons, primetime cartoons, if they had been around, were, were you know, like Flintstones retreads of the Honeymooners or were takes on other stuff that, you know, had their own charm to it. But how do you, how do you make a smart cartoon that adults will watch in the late 80s, early 90s and watching them evolve this into an institution like South Park? you know, has lasted, you know, even longer than that, has lasted this incredible period of time, has defined everything else that came after it. Everything after it, you know, that's that's the that's that sort of like for primetime animation, in animation generally you have Walt Disney, in primetime animation you've got The Simpsons. And it shaped everything there. And it is fascinating to see now like this guy plus this person, you put these people together, like you take, you know, uh you look at Rick and Morty, you get Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland, and you get Rick and Mor- you get Rick and Morty. You take Justin Roiland and uh, uh, was it uh, Mike Michael McMahon. McMahon, yeah, and you get Solar Opposites. You take Mike McMahon by himself, or the couple other people whose names I can't think of right now, and you get Star Trek Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. And like, like I love Lower Decks way more than Solar Opposites, right? Really? But mm-hmm. I, oh yeah, I, I yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, uh, there's to me, there's this, I love Royland, but Royland is this guy that when Royland goes off into Royland, like the characters become so unbound and sociopathic. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I lose my sense of like, what's I mean, important like, here. Roy Royland, Royland is basically like his instincts are really on display in those, in those, uh, uh, interdimensional cable episodes and you just kind of realize that like every every character is just like <laughs> like hey i'm a guy i'm a guy i ripped my face off oops where's my face i'm gonna use it as a dinner table now oh i'm eating yeah Which, and if you go like, back on one hand that's that's the creative element of it but it's like there's not quite the humanity that i think when he works with with the co-collaborators uh you get that expansive creativity with a little bit more of the grounding. I mean, he's he's a genius. So let me make that clear. But he's a person that like yes. yeah. And it's like it's like Walt without Roy, you know. And and it often it's and sometimes 
different people can play to, you know, Matt without Trey, you know, those guys together and where you see where the direction they pull into is fast. And the Simpsons is an example of graining plus some other brilliant people going, what is this? And then, and also, I don't know if you think about animators, which I'm sure you do, like, they got the darkest sense of humor of anybody in the entertainment industry. Very weird. Yeah. Very yeah, weird. Left, left to their own devices. It's just, yeah. just if, if they could do anything, it'd be terrified. And I mean, in in some ways, like you look at those early, those early first like three years or so of the Simpsons show, and like it's really dark and it gets like really heavy. I mean, lots of like, hey, seriously, the family is Homer and Marge will divorce because they're like relationship. Like you look at, I don't know, I feel like the Simpsons today and uh, the Simpsons the last time I looked at it, which was probably years ago feels like it's a there's a bubble over it right like they've got a format you do a non sequitur and then that leads to the real story and then whoop, all, everything's all wrapped yep. up together at the end and you look at like nah, they could have like really gone off the rails on any one of these episodes and it's it's I, just it's a it's such a strong punch you know it makes that's kind of why we remember uh what is it the the bart one where he fails and he's he's crying in front of the teacher and and at the last second, he gets a point or whatever. Like, like that stuff just like really resonates because it feels so raw and. I real. yeah, and I would say that they hit their stride, like a few years after that, and then, the, I think the people who kind of a lot of it now is like you know a lot of the original people still involved, but like Simpsons became its own genre, which is sort of I think kind of a trap. Because once you become your own genre, you don't see outside of it. And I remember years ago, like like 15 years ago, you know, a con hearing a conversation with one of the writers is like, well, the problem is we've run out of things for Homer to do. And I'm like, I'm like, your problem is you think that's what the show is about, is what crazy thing did Homer do now? And I'm like, that's, and I didn't say this, I just thought this to myself loudly. I'm like, that's the problem is the show was its most imaginative the the most memorable characters all came out in the first six or seven years. You know, Ned Flanders, yeah. Nelson, all of this. Like, and I tell him like, name a character that came out in the last ten years. Name name an interesting character, and I don't. Maybe there are, but I'm like, that's to me, that's that's sort of the symptom of the show is that all the. It's not like oh, we created all the cool characters. No, you didn't. Uh, you just sort of became your own genre and you thought, well, it's a show and then, well, Nelson will do this and this personality will do this. Which happens to every, to to a lot of shows that have a sizable cast, right? Is like, we can't, maybe there's someone saying, well, we can't just keep making new people, so keep finding new configurations of people. I mean, but I'll tell you what, that's, that's really the legacy of South Park, though, right? As like, you know, they were how many seasons deep and they come up with PC principal and the PC babies and like all these other characters that are kind of new and had never really been seen before that are mm -hmm. defining of the modern era of it. And, uh, you know, speaking of, of the idea of, uh, uh, these things becoming normal, I don't know if you guys saw this, but because obviously we live in a, a COVID world, uh, there are no people at many sporting events. Colorado is no different. And so for the Denver home game, a portion of the crowd were all South Park cutouts and it was <laughs> different characters from South Park. And it's like, wow. 
to come from where that started and one of their first big like long-term payoff like who shot jr episodes was that cartman's dad was the 19 was all of the 1997 denver broncos who had all had sex with cartman's mom now the actual franchise like celebrating them as this iconic uh, uh you know colorado centric entertainment by doing this big thing at a football game is just mind-blowing to me yeah yeah, it's, it's amazing, the legacy. But yeah, to Bryce, the advantage of animation is you can go to Hank Azaria and say, hey, what other voice do you have? Yeah, and, yeah, that's true. Oh, I got another one. And so that was, you know, as we retire certain voices because, you know, our, sens- you know, our, our sensibilities have changed over time and the way we want to characterize certain groups and stuff. It's an opportunity to create new stuff. And I'd say, like, South Park is like, like, Butters feels like he's been around forever and probably by cartoon years he has, but Butters is... You know, it was a was later, a later edition. Yeah. Yeah. PC principal, like it was like very much in the zeitgeist. And I would say that they've done really good jobs of like, oh, let's go do this thing. And so, you know, yeah. I think so, anyhow, so, uh, the Simpsons we, on, and they fixed it on Disney plus. If you re- remember the new story oh, the from back then. ratios are the same. I need to see all the pipes for the beer factory. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have a pick, Andrew? Uh, my pick is going to be, I don't know if you guys have downloaded iOS 14, but um, there is, have you seen the new thing for the voice memo? No. Voice memos now has an automatic cleanup. So or remove background noise and stuff and make your voice sound clear. Oh, that's so cool. Do it. That's, um, that's interesting. What is it using? Oh, let me do it. I'll do a demo here. Let me try this. I'm recording my voice right now, and I'm going to play it for you, so we'll see if it's staticky. Let's see. I'm recording my voice right now, and I'm going to play it for you, so we'll see if it's staticky. Okay, that's without any correction. I don't okay, know if you can hear any difference there. And we're, yeah, we're, so today let's we're now doing do Skype, the magic. So the audio fidelity may be a little different today. You guys can be my witnesses, and you can tell me if you hear. I'm recording my voice right now, and I'm going to play it for you, so we'll see if it's staticky. Don't know if you can tell the difference, but I hear automatically all the background stuff is is gone. The voice is crisper and clearer. So I could definitely feel more uh, compression on on the voice. You could feel it. It sounded a little punchier just from that bit that we could move yeah. through. Yeah. The good kind of compression, folks. But yeah, yeah. So uh, just a thing to note. Like I haven't tried anything else, but I think if somebody's looking at doing. If you want to do podcasts or you want to do stuff and you're very worried about it, there's nothing like sitting down to record something and you hear stuff in the background and you're like, yeah, oh, now I get why people have microphones and amplifiers and all this other stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can't. But here I think you can get you can get great quality audio out of this. Probably better than what we're doing on Skype. So. Nice. Almost cer- almost certainly we could do better than Skype. But yeah. uh uh, making lemonade. Uh, that's really cool. I did not know about that. Voice memos always seems like a real, like we use voice memos occasionally on set. If we like, we, if we like didn't have enough mic packs for somebody, we could just pull out a phone. We had a lav mic for the iPhone and you could just plug it in and start a voice memo and just record that. Um, I'm not going to need, I'm not going to name names, but I've worked on broadcast shows. We're like, we need you to get a couple lines. Oh, want me to hop in a sound booth? No, just record it on voice memos and send it to us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a good, there's a great YouTube series uh, that I watched. And you could tell that 
almost all of the audio was recorded on phones because everyone would have their iPhone in their uh, breast pocket upside down so that the mic would be facing right up and hitting like you could tell every character every character had their phone like this just and it, <laughs> it, it worked it, it worked because you kind of didn't really care about it that much but it's yeah th- these these microphones are pretty good and they've got like apps like anchor and stuff that will do uh similar stuff like your phone has a good mic on it for some uses yeah there's a new i was just looking through the app store and there's a new one that i saw like they actually have the featured thing on, on the the mac app store is podcast to go and podcast studio which they're showing which is a thing where people can get an app people can download an app to record and then this allows you to edit there's other apps that do this but this seems like it might be a straightforward, easy to use thing. So the tech is getting better. I mean, it's just, it's 10 years behind where we thought it would be when we started podcasting. Yeah. That's so, yeah, that's really cool. iOS's voice memo with an enhancement feature. It's been after. The Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) 